We are in Genesis chapter 10, and in Genesis chapter 10, we have the first in-depth genealogy that we're going to see in the scriptures. And I read the Bible, personally, I read the Bible from beginning to end. So I start in Genesis chapter 1, and I work my way through to Revelation chapter 22. What a strange way to read a book from beginning to end, right? So I read the Bible from beginning to end, and I read the genealogies, and they don't bore me. Because if you study them, they mean something to you. Now, we, we make these, these little molecules in our lab that we call nanocars, the little cars with wheels and motors and things, and people get enamored by that. But they don't understand the details of those cars. It's not until you get in the laboratory and you see all the details that have to go into each step in making that car that you have a real appreciation for the details of that car. And it's like that with the Scriptures. You can just read this thing and say, oh, that's nice, but the details, they trouble me. No, that's part of learning and growing and appreciating the detail of what's here. Because God documents the genealogies to show all of this is pointing to Christ. There is a record in the Scriptures of Jesus all the way back to Adam and all the way back to the line because any prophet had to come through the line of Israel, had to come through this line of, of Shem, this son of Noah, had to come through this particular line. And Jesus had to have come through the line of David. And so it's documented. It wasn't just poof, somebody burst onto the scene. There's all this documentation behind it. And that's what the genealogies give us. It's document upon document. You can see patterns of the early portions of Genesis, Genesis chapters 1 through 9. You can see patterns of this, and, and also chapter 11, in other documents from the times. You can see the, these stories of a flood and many things. Forty different cultures, forty different cultures have documentation concerning the flood. But this is the only book that has, that, that has documentation of of genealogies to anything near this extent. There's little mentions of it here and there, and we'll see some of this in, in other documents. But this kind of documentation in this chapter, chapter 10, is copied nearly verbatim in Second Chronicles chapter 1, the book of Second Chronicles. So clearly they took it as historical, not a bunch of nonsense. They were historically re-documenting the genealogy in, 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 in Second Chronicles chapter 1. And then it's repeated again and again, and we'll see the redocumentation again in the New Testament. So let's start reading in Genesis chapter Genesis chapter one, uh, um, Genesis chapter ten. We're going to be reading from verse one. Now these are the records of the generations of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah, the sons who were born to him after the flood. The sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, and Madal, and Javan, and Tubal, and Meshech, and Tiras. The sons of Gomer were Eshkelnaz, and Riphoth, and Togama. The sons of Javan were Elisha, and Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanaim. Okay, so these may sound like strange names, but your names sound strange to them, okay? These, these are actually, these are all Hebrew names. It wasn't until after Genesis chapter 11 when God scrambled the languages that you start having names that don't make sense in Hebrew. 
So these names make sense in Hebrew. So you know that the early language was Hebrew. And then all of a sudden, in, in, in Genesis chapter 11, the names get scrambled. But you see this documentation. And so the first thing he documents, even though Shem is the oldest, then Ham, and then Japheth, he starts with the sons of Japheth. And he starts documenting them. Because he's going to finish with Shem, because Shem is the line through which the Hebrews come, and it's Shem he finishes with, and then the whole text is going to kick in in in, in Genesis chapter 12 of the line of the Hebrews through Abraham. But as he documents some of these names, let me just just point out a a couple of things. That that if you look, for example, in in, in verse 4, it says in verse 4, there's this last name is... Dodanim, Dodanim is, is the last name in, in, in chapter 10, verse 4. If you were to go to 1st Chronicles, uh, I'm sorry, if you were go, to go to, uh, to 2nd Chronicles chapter 1 and look at that name, that, that name actually would be slightly different. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, it's, it's actually in 1st Chronicles chapter 1, verse 7, it'd be Rodanim, Rodanim. So when they recopy this genealogy in 1st Chronicles chapter 1, they go from Dodanim to Rodanim. That D changes to an R. Oh, well, what does that mean? It's interesting because in Hebrew, the D sound and the R sound, those letters look very, very similar. And so what you see in First Chronicles is you see a transcribal error where they put the D, the, the R sound for the D sound because the letters look very similar. So you can even see and trace transcribal errors. You say, well, then it's not the Word of God. No, it's really the Word of God. It brings authenticity to the document. That when somebody was transcribing it, you go ahead, sit down, go ahead, sit down and write all these names. And then let me see if you make a mistake in any one of the letters of those names. I bet you do. Does that mean you didn't really transcribe it? No, it meant you really transcribed it. Because you're not a computer. You don't get it right all the time. And so you can even see that transcribal error. And then he goes in and he, he talks about, in verse 5, he says, From these the coastlands of the nations were separated into their lands, everyone according to his language, according to their families, in their nations. So he says, everyone according to their Everyone according to their languages. What does that mean, according to their languages? I thought, I thought this, they, 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 they were all speaking Hebrew. But what he's making reference to is in Genesis chapter 11, the languages are going to be scrambled. And you're going to have everyone according to his language. And so, what, how does God decide how we, what land, what territory each of these is going to be? Because 70 sons are going to be noted. From, so from these three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, from these three sons... Uh, uh, 70 sons are going to come that are going to be the originators of different kingdoms, of different tribe, tribal kingdoms. Now, some of those sons, like, <clears throat> like uh, um, one, one of the sons be, being Nimrod, the, the mighty hunter, he is going to be the originator of, of eight or nine different kingdoms from that one. But of this, you have 70 different kingdoms starting, and a couple of them, Nimrod, one of them, started more than one city. He started, he started uh, eight plus one or two, depending on how you number it, and one of the other sons started two. But this is the originator of it, and so what makes God decide who's going to get what? Well, God reveals some of this in Deuteronomy 32, verse 8. It says, When the Most High God gave the nations their inheritance, when He separated the sons of man... 
He set boundaries of the peoples according to the sons of Israel. For the Lord's portion is His people. Jacob is the allotment of His inheritance. So according to the impact that this is going to have upon God's people and the influence of God's people through these lands is how God decided how He would divide up the nations. He didn't divide up the nations based on this late-coming United States of America. He did this based upon the children of Israel. That is how He decided how things were going to be broken up because He was foreseeing what was to come. So, so then, then we read down. So he first starts with Japheth. So, so he takes, he takes the youngest son. He starts with him first. And this thing of not starting with the oldest, but finishing with the oldest is commonly done, particularly in Genesis, because it then continues through that line. And then, then you have in, in verse six, the sons of Ham were Cush, Mizram, and Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush were Seba, Hevilah, Sabta, Rama, and Sabka, and the sons of Rama were Sheba and Didan. Now Cush became the father of Nimrod. He became a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Baba, Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Kelna, and in the land of Shinar. From that land he went forth into Assyria, and built Nineveh, and Rehoboth, Rehoboth, Ir, and Kela. So Nimrod established the, this first one, ba, uh, Babel, where we have the Tower of Babel, which is Babylon, plus then eight others kingdoms. And, and it's spoken of, and you say he's a mighty warrior. There's a lot of Jewish literature on him, and he's not spoken of as being very good, because every kingdom that he established turned out to be a godless kingdom. Uh, uh, so he's not spoken of, a, of, of being, being good in the great sense of being a good person. Not at all. Um, and then, then it says uh, in verse 12, And wrestled between Nineveh and Kela, that is the great city. Mizram became the father of Ludim and Anamim and Labim and Naphtuhim and Pathshuram and Kalusim from, from which... Be- became the, the Philistines and Kephorturim. Canaan became the father of Sidon. Now remember, Canaan was the cursed son from the last chapter. Canaan was the son of Ham, and Canaan was the cursed son that said he would be a servant of servants, the lowest. And so who did Canaan give, give uh, uh, offspring to? He became the father of Sidon, the firstborn, and Heth. And the Jebusite, the Amorite, and the Girgashite, and the Hivite, and the Archite, and the Sinite, and the Arbadite, and the Semarite, and the Hamathite. And afterward, the families of Canaanite, Canaanite were spread abroad. The territory of the Canaanite extended from Sidon as you go toward Gerar, as far as Gaza as you go down toward Sodom, and Gomorrah, and Adma, and Zeboim, as far as Lasha. So it is this son that was the cursed son, and in this chapter, sometimes he names the name of the son. Sometimes he names the name of the kingdom that that son started. And for, 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 uh, for Canaan, he's often naming the name of the kingdom. And you recognize some of those names because you read a lot of those names in other portions of the Old Testament as Israel is fighting in those, 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 those city kingdoms.
it is this name and on this basis that, that, that uh, uh, there's this, this idea that the Africans were enslaved because it says they were the servant of servants and that's why so many of them ended up in slavery. I'll tell you, every people at some point has ended up in slavery. If you track your ancestors back, if you could, I am sure that at some point they were slaves to somebody. But that is wrong because Canaan didn't occupy Africa. It was another son of Ham that occupied that, that, that area in Africa. The Canaanites occupied exactly the land that the Israelites eventually took over. They either killed off the Canaanites or they enslaved the Canaanites. The Canaanites finally died off in, one, in majority in 146 BC in Carthage with the destruction by Rome. They were finally killed off. And if you look at artwork from those days, if you look at Egyptian artwork, the Canaanites were not African-looking. They were olive-colored people. And they did not have the African features. They actually looked a lot like me. That's what the Canaanites looked like. And so this whole idea that the Bible was, was, was condemning the continent of Africa is not at all the case. What it says is it said specifically the children of Canaan, Canaan and his offspring, were to be servant of servants. And they were the ones who occupied. We just read in verse 19 the territory. That territory outlines the territory that the children of Israel came into. Those were the ones that were going to be servant of servants. And they were wicked people and they were essentially killed off. So that prophecy that, that from that proclamation in chapter 9 by Noah is fulfilled. And it's fulfilled and it's dealt with when the children of Israel come into the land of Canaan. No wonder why it's called the land of Canaan. That's where the Canaanites lived. They weren't going into the land of Africa. They were going into where present-day Israel is and where Jordan is and, and, and south of the Euphrates in that region. And then it goes on and it says in verse 20, These are the sons of Ham according to their families, according to their languages. Again, languages because it's soon going to be in the next chapter broken up, and by their lands, by their nations. Also to Shem, now we're dealing with Shem. So when you talk about uh, uh, being an anti-Semite, this is being against the children of Shem. Who are the children of Shem? It's not just the Jewish people. Remember, he had many sons. And, and uh, um, it's not just, just, it's actually from this son, Eber, is where the Hebrews came from. So Eber in Hebrew is Iver, and that word Iver is in, he, in, in, in Hebrew, Hebrew. That is where this, this offspring, and you will see when we look at the genealogy of Jesus, he's going to go through this son Eber, who is sometimes translated Ever, and this is the name Hebrew. So Shem also gave birth to the ones who occupy all the Arab states that we know today. They're both Semitic people. So I remember 20 years ago serving on a, on a Department of Defense committee and Israel came out and said that they had developed a nerve agent that would only kill the Arabs. And I'm like, you're both, you're, 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 you're both Semitic people. It can't be. It was just a bunch of fluff. You know, it was a statement when things were going wrong. I mean, it was just nonsense. They both got the same source. They're both coming from this son, Shem. Also to Shem, the father of all the children of Eber. So he targets now Eber 
because that's now going to be the offspring of of, of the Hebrews, but Eber wasn't his direct son. He's just saying, this is going to be the line at which Eber comes. And the older brother of Japheth, children were born. This, now he outlines the sons of Shem. The sons of Shem were Elam, Ashur, Ash, uh, Arpashad, and Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram were Uz, and Hul, Gether, and Mash. Arpashad, now this Arpashad is going to be in the line of Jesus. So Arpashad is the son of Shem. Arpashad became the father of Shelah. And Shelah became the father of Eber, this this one by which Hebrews are named. Uh, Two sons were born to Eber. The one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided and his brother's name was Joktan. So in in the time of Peleg. So some people think it was in the time of Peleg that there was this continental drift occurred. Um, but that's out of context. Which here in context, the earth was divided is in chapter 11, the division of languages. So in the, because Peleg actually means, means to divide. So it's believed that in the lifetime of Peleg, which is going to be in Genesis chapter 11, that the earth was divided by its languages. So now let's just look, just look at Joktan. So Joktan is one of the sons of Shem. He's the, he, he's one of the descendants, one of the sons of Shem. He's a cousin of Eber, of the Hebrew line. This Joktan became the father of Almadad, and Sheleph, and Hazmarvath, and Jerah, and Hadoram, and Uzal, and Dikla, and Abal, and Abimael, and Sheba, and Ophir, and Havla, and Jobab, and all these were the sons of Joktan. Now their settlements extended from Misha as you go down toward Safar and the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem according to their families, according to their languages, by their lands, according to their nations. These are the families of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies, by their nations. And out of these, the nations were separated on the earth after the flood. So what I want to do is I just want to read to you from from a text that studies that studies the genealogies. And this is just a brief overview of the study of the genealogies, but just so that you understand some of the excitement here. So I'm, I can't read about all of these. I'm just going to focus right in there on Joktan, this father of this Arab nation area. So let's see what history tells us, because from today, we can look back and see the origin of those names in the lands that exist today. You say, no, that's too far long ago. It's not. Historians have figured this all out. You go ahead, pick up an organic chemistry textbook. You say, this can't be. How can they know all this? Well, because a lot of people spend a lot of time on this. Historians are way ahead of you in reading this chapter. And they've studied this. And so they figured out a lot of this. It says in Genesis chapter 10, verse 26 through 30, lists the 13 sons of Joktan, each of those whose families became Arabian tribes. Verse 26 to 29 lists the sons of Joktan, the first being Al-Modad, the, the South Arabian people of the tribe of Al-Mudad in Yemen. The second son was Shelef, listed in the Sabean inscriptions. So they're, they're calling upon other works. And so he cites the Sabean inscriptions, inscriptions and Arabic geographical notations. According to Ptolemas, this was the Salipiani between Sheba and Hadrumat. This is the South Arabian people of El Sulaf in Yemen, also called Salaf or Salif. 
The third son was Hazmarvath, Hazar Mavath, whose name appears in the Sabean inscriptions and in the classic texts located in Hadrumata of South Arabia. The fourth son was Jera, the Jeraka, next to Hazmarvath. The fifth son was Hadoram, the Ardramite in South Arabia. The sixth son, Uzal, which is the old name for modern Sana'a, the capital of Yemen. His land might alternatively be Azala in the area of Medina. The seventh son was Dikla, the Dakla of Yemen. The eighth son was Obal, the Abel of South Arabia or Yemen. The ninth son was Abimael. Nothing more is known about him. The tenth son was Sheba, the Sabaeans of South, Southwest Arabia, also listed as being part of Ham's line in, in chapter 10, verse 7. The eleventh son was Afir, identified as Athar, the Sabaean capital. Some have identified Afir's territory with Somalia or Somaliland. His area was famous for its gold. The twelfth son was Hivala, located on the west coast of Arabia, north of Yemen, also known as Kawalan in Arabia. Felix, and also mentioned in Ham's line in 10.7. The thirteenth son was Jobab, the Yobara Tayai, mentioned by Ptolemus in southeast Saudi Arabia. His land was also identified with the town of Juhabab in the area of Mecca. Genesis 10.29 concludes, and, and then he goes on. But do you see the detail? It touches where we are today. It just brings it right to today. So you think this is just a bunch of nonsense that's recorded? No, it's not. Just like the details when you get into a chemistry textbook, there's all this detail that goes behind it, where people go right back all the way down to the quantum mechanics that's buried inside that. You go, I had no idea the detail. Well, duh, people have gone before you. They've figured out a lot of this stuff. This is not a cursory text. This, takes, this text takes this really seriously. Now let's look at some other things that are really quite interesting about this. So here is the line that's outlined there. Shem, our Pashad, remember we said that he is, it is through his line. But then it goes to Shelah. It skips a name, Canaan. Canaan. But if you go to Luke chapter 3, verse 3, which is one of the lineages of Jesus. So if we go to Luke chapter 3, we go, go to the, the lineage of Jesus. Verse 36, Luke chapter 3, verse 36. So it says, the sons of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad. So there it is. So it lists another son here that is not listed in the book of Genesis. And you go, oh, oh, a mistake. The Bible can't be real. No, the Bible's real. There's no mistake. Why is that? Because the Bible is clearly using, our Old Testament uses something called the Masoretic Text. From where did the translation of our Old Testament come? It came from the Masoretic Text, which is one of several texts. The Masoretic Text is a good text. Last year I was in Israel, I visited the, the Museum of the Bible. You see several different texts. You see the Masoretic text there. You see the Dead Sea Scroll texts. You see, you see uh, uh, other texts from other regions. The other texts list this name Cain between Arpashad and Shelah. Masoretic texts happened to leave it out. These were just guys that were recording as carefully as they could. They left this one out. Other texts of the day put this one in. So what they do in the, our Old Testament, they take the Masoretic text. Now, if you have a studied Bible, they'll say in the notes, some manuscripts, some texts add this name. 
If you go to the New Testament, the New Testament, our New Testament was obviously this line, whoever recorded this in the book of Luke, Luke then recording this, was using the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. In the Septuagint, this name is listed. So we know that Luke was not using the Masoretic text when he came up with the lineage. He was using, he didn't come with this from his own mind, he was copying the lineage. He was using the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which was, which was several hundred BC, it was written. That's what he was using. And he used this and he inserted this name. Then it goes Shelah Eber, the one who was the offspring for, for the, um, for, for the Hebrews, Pika, Reu, Serug, Nahor, Terah, Abram, which also is Abraham. Then Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's other name is Israel. And that goes then to David. That then goes to the line of David. And what's interesting about that line, it's just so magnificent. This is just, I hope you're, you're coming away with this new appreciation for genealogies. So if you go, if you go to, uh, um, if you go to Matthew chapter 1. So go to, to, to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 is the genealogy of Jesus through, through Joseph. Now remember, Joseph is not his real father. Jesus' real father is God. Joseph was his presumed father, right? You with me on that? And so, so we have the genealogy of Joseph's line. And so in Matthew chapter 1, it says, The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and it goes on down the line. Then if you look in verse 6, it says, David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. And so it goes on down. So David had several sons. One of his sons was Solomon. If you track Solomon's line down, Solomon's line goes through, in verse 12, it goes through a guy named Jeconiah. Jeconiah was one of the kings. He was the son of, of uh, Josiah. Goes to Jeconiah. And then Jeconiah ends up going down, all the way down to Joseph. Joseph is, is uh, uh, listed there in verse 16. Okay, if Joseph, if Joseph... Jesus' presumed father had been the real father of Jesus. Jesus never could have been the Messiah. Because there was a curse on Jeconiah in Jeremiah chapter 22. In the book of Jeremiah, in the book of Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 22 pronounced a curse on the king named Jeconiah. Jeconiah had a couple other names. One of his names was, was, was Conan. Uh, where they would shorten Jeconiah. You say, why do they have so many names? Well, you know, in my lifetime, people have called me Jimmy, Jim, James, James Tour, Dr. Tour, Professor Tour, Mr. Tour. Well, what's with all the names? I don't know. But this is normal for people throughout their lives to have transitions of names and, and, uh, uh, and, and different things. When Shireen says James Tour, I mean, I'm just... I know I've done something terribly wrong and I'm getting out of there as fast as I can because I'm in trouble. I mean, and so people use names in different ways for different uh, uh, situations. So if you look, for example, in, in Jeremiah chapter 22, and we're going we're gonna, to uh, uh, start reading in verse 28. In verse 28 it says, Is this man Coniah a despised and shattered jar? 
Or is he an undesirable vessel? Why have he and his descendants been hurled out and cast into the land that they had not known? O land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man down childless, a man who will not prosper in his days, for no man of his descendants will prosper sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in Judah. There was a curse that came upon the line of Jeconiah. That's why that line of Joseph, Joseph could not have been his real father and him be the Messiah. Now we turn to Luke again, turn to Luke chapter chapter 3. You have the line of Jesus through Mary, his real mother. Through Mary, his real mother. And you have this line, how do we know it's through Mary? Well, if you look in Luke chapter 3, verse 23, in, in Luke chapter 3, verse 23, it says, it says, uh, when he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, the son of Eli, the son of Mata, and so on. The son of the son of the son of. But, if you look in the Young's Literal Translation, so if, you, if, you've got, if you've got the electronic Bible, just switch to Young's Literal Translation, and you see a word-for-word translation from the Greek. And it says in verse 23 of Luke chapter 3, And Jesus himself was beginning to be about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph. As was supposed son of Joseph. There is no definite article, the. It says, as was supposed, son of Joseph. The of Eli, the of Matai, the of Levi. When they left out the definite article, T-H-E, the, that when they say son of Joseph without the definite article, it means they're referring to his wife, Mary. How do we know that? Because the writing of the day did not give lineage by the woman. They gave lineage by the man. So how do you refer to a man's wife? You would leave out the definite article. Every other name in this genealogy has the definite article, the. Except that name. The one for Joseph. They leave out the definite article. Which was the code word that I'm talking about the guy's wife. We don't want to mention the wife. Because you don't mention wives. You just mention the, the man. But the code was, you leave out the definite article. And the definite article is there. And it, it says, was the supposed, as was supposed, son of Joseph, the of Eli, the of Matai, the, uh, uh, the of Melech, the of Jana, the of Joseph, the of Matthias, the of Amos, the of Nahum, the of El- Elsley. And so you get that when you look at the Greek. Isn't this fascinating? So Jesus was a direct descendant of Mary... Well, I thought it had to be a descendant through David's line. Where does Mary come from? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Because if you trace this down, and so you go, go to verse 31 of Luke chapter 3. In verse 31, it says, The son of Milah, the son of Mena, the son of Matah, the son of Nathan, the son of David. Oh, how cool is that? David had more than one son. If it had come through Solomon... Jesus could not have been the Messiah if Joseph had been his real father. Because Jeconiah in that line was cursed. He said, no child ever offspring of you shall ever sit on the throne. But David had another son named Nathan. It is through Nathan's line that Mary is traced. 
And it is through Mary that Jesus comes. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't that amazing? Jesus comes through Mary, through this Nathan, the son of David. So Jesus is of the line of David. You had to be of the line of David to be the Messiah. You couldn't just happen out of nowhere. It's not just poof, I appear, I'm here. No, everything had to be documented. You had to have the genealogy here. And it's right there through the line of Mary. It's documented that he is the offspring, he is the offspring of Mary who is of the line of Nathan, the line of David. And then David tracks right on back all the way through. And then you go, you go through this and you see Peleg and you see uh, uh, Canaan, and then you see uh, in, in verse 35, and it says the son of Heber. And if you look in the footnote, it will say that that is Eber. And, and so that is the Hebrews of the Hebrew line. It's all tracked there. You see how specific this is. That's why the genealogies are so exciting. So go to some helps to help you to figure out some of the genealogies because they are profound. After Jesus, after Jesus was killed on the cross which was somewhere in around 35 A.D. Somewhere in around 35 A.D. Jesus was killed on the cross. Jesus was actually born between 5 and 7 B.C. He said, I thought he was born right at the transition point. No, he was not. And we know that because we know exactly when his birth was because it's recorded in Luke exactly who was king at that time and who was governor at that time. Just boom. And we can zero right in on it. So it was between 5 and 7 B.C. that Jesus was born. Jesus died around between 30 and 35 A.D. Jesus was not exactly 33. He was probably more like 37 when he died on the cross. But, but uh, sorry to burst your bubble on that. It's seen as Christmas is approaching. But, and, and December 25th is not his birthday as far as we can tell. That was just chosen. We have no idea when it was his birthday. Scholars would say it probably happened during the Feast of Tabernacles, which they go by the lunar calendar, and at that time of year would have been in the fall. Uh, 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 not not in the winter. But in any case, uh, where were we? So, after Jesus dies on the cross, 30 or so years after that, in 70 AD, as predicted by Jesus, everything was destroyed in Jerusalem. Remember they said, let his blood be on us and upon our children. They said to Pilate, okay, that's what you got. Upon you and upon your children. And everybody in Jerusalem died. Everyone who was in Jerusalem during the onslaught was killed. What about those, the many believers that had believed on Jesus? They got away. Say, so how did they get away? Because the siege started in, 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 in about 68 AD. And then there was, there, it lifted for a short period, for a period of a few weeks. During that time, the Messianic Jews, the ones that had believed in Jesus, realized the prophecy of Jesus that he had said. Jesus said, when you see the armies surrounding about Jerusalem, then you know the end is near. Flee! Flee, Jesus said. At that point, the Messianic Jews, there were about a 100,000 of them, left, and they went across the Jordan to Pilah, which is in present-day Jordan. And then the siege came back. And the attack came and the, and the city fell. When that city fell, all the records were lost. They were gone. No more records. That's why as Jews, you don't know from what tribe you are. Ask a Jew. You meet a Jew. Say, what tribe are you from? They'll be like, are you crazy? Are you, are you really serious here? So, 
you don't know your tribe. Everybody knew their tribe prior to that point. Even in the first century, they knew their tribe. So remember when they bring Jesus, the baby, to the temple, and, 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 it, and it says Anna of the tribe of Asher. Even though she was of the ten tribes, they say those who were lost tribes, they weren't lost. She even knew what tribe she was from. But all the records were destroyed. Why did it not matter anymore? It didn't matter because the Messiah had already come. The record was established. We had the Bible. We had the book that had already been spread throughout the world. This record of the Messiah's birth, at that point, after 70 AD, it didn't matter anymore. But it's interesting. This record is recorded. You know where it's recorded? In the DNA. You think I'm messing around. I'm not. There's something called the Cohen gene. For example, if the institu- if you're going to reinstitute the temple, the temple has to be reinstituted, and it has to be reinstituted, and it has to be served by priests. And not just anybody can be a priest. Well, there's a name, Cohen. Cohen means priest. And so, oh, they're all priests. Well, not exactly. So, if you look, there is a common segment of DNA in many Cohens, but not in all of them. And only those are being selected out to be priests when they reinstitute the temple. How do you know they're going to reinstitute the temple? Because the Bible says they're going to do it. And the Jews know that they're going to, it's going to happen. And where that temple mount is, and there's a mosque right there, there will one day be a temple returned right there on that spot. And they're going to reinstitute the temple, and they already have it written in the DNA. I remember when I read first about the Cohen gene about 25 years ago in the, in the journal Nature. I just, just brought tears to my eyes that God knew how He would bring back the priestly class. Because you had to be a priest. And He kept it recorded in the DNA. So the Romans destroyed all the records at that time, but the DNA remains. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that fascinating? This is what the genealogies give us. I hope you have a new appreciation for the genealogy. But it was all set up for the Son of God to come. For there to be documentation of the Son of God. This is not just some random document. You read through the Bible, it's full of genealogies just for this reason, to set it up all for the coming of the Son of God. Because it's in Him we have salvation, and in nobody else, only in Him do we have salvation. Only in Him is their life. That's why I implore you this day to come before Him, to say, Jesus, forgive me for my sins and come into my life. It is only in Christ The whole Bible from the book of Genesis is gearing up this thing to send the Savior to the world. It's all tracking right to go to Jesus. All these things that we think, oh, now it's ruined because of the cursing of Jeconiah. God's got it figured out. He established another line through Nathan. And that's the line that goes to Mary. This document is so good, so rich, so much life here. And we have the intricate parts. We have the... We have the quantum mechanical parts of the document that we can't neglect because this is what underpins all of the other parts that you so enjoy and love. The Christmas story. It's underpinned by the quantum mechanics of the genealogy. It's right here. This is what he gives us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Father, I pray for these young people that they would have a new appreciation for the scriptures, for the genealogies, for the depth of your word, for the accuracy of it. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this truth. Father, I pray that they would see that everything is for Jesus, the Son of God, who came to this earth. Jesus, the Son of God, 
all is about Him and His life and how He comes and dies on the cross for us. Father, for the unbelievers here, I pray, Lord, that they would come into salvation this day. Father, we must have conversion work here. That is our aim. We must have conversion work here. Father, turn their hearts to You, I pray. And Father, for those who are here who know You, I pray, Lord, that they would take this Word all the more seriously, the truth of Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen.